0: Hey, this is Dave Portnoy. I can't do it, man. I I fucking When
1: did you learn his name?
0: Uh I'd heard it before, but I learned his name when he took over the feed of a podcast I really like and announced how (laughs) he, he helped ruin it. Uh but recently I you know, I'm looking into this guy. I don't really understand how is this guy this rich? Podcasting Empire. Jesus Christ, he's Irish, it sounds like, Portnoy. <laughs> is that, Wait, is what's that the, Irish? I'm
1: sorry, what, I don't understand, what's the story with the girls?
0: I really was hoping I wouldn't have to talk about this on air, but there is a podcast in the Barstool Sports Podcast Network called Call Her Daddy. Yeah, you talked
1: about this, by the way, you were an early adopter of
0: Call Her Daddy. Extreme, yeah, I, yes, I, I, I'll i just say I adopted it in its infancy. Um <laughs> Uh, that's a very. It's a. It's a. I mean, I. You know, it's like a, They're like. I kind of think of them as like coworkers of mine, right? Like I'm a podcaster. They're podcasters. Like I podcast with a girl. Each of them individually podcast with another girl, being the other girl. Um. And you know, I talk about a bunch of things. They talk about a bunch of things. Um. And and their podcast ended. And what? It's like,
1: Wait, it's over.
0: Well, they stopped. They. I think they put their last oh, episode on, out aren't like a month on, ago.
1: They're on podcast strike.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's some deal with you know they were trying to shop it around. Apparently, one of the girls' boyfriends, which I was very disappointed to learn, uh, existed. Uh, maybe works for HBO Sports or something. I, I was I couldn't really follow it. Uh-huh. But uh, but th- at the end of the day, they're not putting out new podcasts, and it's been. I'll be honest with you guys, it's been tough. Mm. Like it's it's been tough for me. Um,
1: but you're making it through.
0: Yeah, I mean. I, I've been recording sort of my own fan tribute, call her daddy <laughs> episodes. What's it called? Call me daddy. <laughs> Welcome to Call Me Daddy. No. <laughs> Brace's podcast about uh being a being a young girl in a big city. No. Um, oh no, nope. stop. Fuck. Oh, sorry. I didn't Sorry, I thought it was Thursday. Uh it's <laughs> Friday. Cool. Welcome to True Um, my name is Brace. I'm joined here by I'm Liz. Hi. And joined as always by producer Young Chopsky, who also, of course, produces uh Call Call Me Daddy. Um <laughs> It's we're back in the game, baby. Seventy-one episode seventy-one. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. Uh, I am. I'm excited for this one. I love doing research. <laughs> <laughs> love yeah. digging into the archives.
1: Yeah, this is. Um, how do I say? Uh, we're trying to stay on the pulse, the media pulse. We're out in the streets, we're, we're seeing what the kids are talking to, we're, we're on the trending topics, and we got a trending topic this week.
0: Yeah, would you mind giving a little bit, start sort of giving the background of this for, for listeners of ours who um, didn't sort of see what happened?
1: All right, so uh, last week, I believe it was last week,
0: time like barely exists for me now. Was it last week? I, I don't know, it depends. I mean, let's just say it was last week.
1: I think it was last
0: week. I mean, we're recording this in, what, January 2020? This is one of the ones <laughs> we're going to put out in May, I think? Yeah, okay.
1: Uh, okay, so last week, uh, the, the, the New Yorker staff writer and, I believe, New York Times bestselling author, Gia Tolentino, who uh, I think unironically has been called a voice of a generation, or a voice of the generation, excuse me. Googling
0: uh, Gia Tolentino age. If it's, if it's my generation.
1: <laughs> so she, um, uh, last week, she posted a personal blog. Uh, I think, you know, I should say, I think um, our listeners might be familiar with who she is, but she's quite famous. She started as a um, a blogger at Jezebel and Gawker, went to the New Yorker. She, Like I said, best-selling book. It's called Trick Mirror. Um, uh, it's quite popular. Anyway, so she posted um a blog post last week
0: mm-hmm. at
1: gia.blog/listen-i-wanted-core-gossip-2 so
0: it's called I wanted court gossip 2
1: No that's the name of the hyperlink but I wanted to say it out loud because it's very <laughs> odd to me Um and basically she she has this blog post where she's detailing um a rumor that i had actually never heard before but she said was circulating around the internet that her parents were human traffickers and this is her words by the way uh and this is something that i i actually was not aware of as a rumor Were you brace
0: do you know how excited i would have been if i had heard that a journalist's parents were human traffickers <laughs> no i hadn't heard this i mean i i'm i'm sort of like I I'm aware that this person exists, but I mm. I, I I don't you know I, I don't like I don't think I've read anything. I, maybe I have, but like I'm not like familiar with her o- 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 ouvre. Uver, o- 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 Uver. <laughs> o- 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 I'm not familiar with her Uver. <laughs> Fuck, I thought I was doing that right. I was looking at your guys' faces to see. I
1: literally no. thought, yeah, I thought you were, I don't know. No,
0: no. But I, but I, anyways, I like, know who she is. I know. She, I, I, actually didn't know she wrote for New Yorker. I knew she worked at Gawker Jezebel, one of those things. And I know she put out a book. But I had not heard the human trafficking stuff. So it must have like, I mean, obviously it's out there, but it, it had not made it out there for enough for me to see. And I feel like I'm a pretty good bellwether, if that's yeah. what bellwether means. Yeah.
1: I think that she, my sense is that she was trying, she was like, maybe she fancied herself a kind of like um, public relations uh, operative and was like trying to get ahead of the story or something. But it kind of, to me, it just sort of came out of nowhere and I was very confused. Yes. (laughs) Um, But so she writes, a post was circulating on Tumblr about it and on Twitter. This was the week that quarantine boredom escalated to the point that on Monday, People were trying to get Mitski and Arca.
0: No idea. But I, who Literally don't know are what that people? means. <laughs> are, are those people? I don't know. Arca sounds like a brand.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Mitski and Arca for their parents being respectively CIA and wealthy, and by Friday everyone was rejoicing in what passed for an Allison Roman scandal. People were posting about how my parents were human traffickers. Bomb. Dropped a bomb. No idea. So she continues, um, Around the time I was born, my grandmother founded an agency placing nurses from the Philippines in U.S. hospitals that were experiencing a skilled labor shortage. Soon after, she and a business partner began placing Filipino teachers in U.S. schools, too. When my family moved down to Houston from Toronto in 1993, my dad joined the company, which continued to bring nurses and teachers over through a lawful process, typically of the many recruitment agencies of this kind. Specifically on the side of the teacher program, the company sponsored school district personnel to travel to the Philippines and meet with qualified teachers who they might be interested in hiring. Uh, The company began the lengthy process of bringing them to the states with H-1B visas, filling a petition, waiting for approval and issuance. Uh, So she kind of like, she goes through. um, She says, my dad worked to get those teachers rehired in other districts uh, for for the batch of teachers for whom once they had arrived in the United States, they no longer had jobs, right? Mm -hmm. She tried to get those, he tried to get those teachers rehired uh, and placed all of them, but for... Successfully, ICE, then a brand new agency with a directive to protect America from illegal immigration, investigated the displaced teachers whose visa petitions bore the name of the school district that they had extended the job offers before declining rather than the school districts where they eventually worked. In 2004, to their horror, my parents were charged with a battery of things that, if they were found guilty, would add up to over 100 years in prison for each of them. The counts included alien smuggling, harboring, and transporting aliens, conspiracy to defraud the government, money laundering, and more. The company's open, earnest, lawful work helping fellow Filipinos move to America for good jobs and teaching had been swiftly reframed as hideous criminal activity. Um, so, you know, the, the blog post is, is much longer than this. Uh, and, and basically it keeps going, uh, you know, v- not really into a lot of detail, which I don't, um, fault her. I don't really falter for, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't really know exactly what she was trying to do
0: here. I just, I, I'll be honest with you. I would not have written it in the first place. No, so no, I, mean, I, no, can't I would not have either. <laughs> yeah,
1: I that. know, I know. I don't really totally know what to say to, to any of this, but, um. She, you know, the the post kind of turns and then she, you know, as, as is, um, you know, from what I've read of her writing, this seems to be sort of a signature move. She sort of, uh, turns it back onto herself to kind of reflect on how this whole situation is for her. And, you know, she writes on, you know, she talks about how, you know, this moment is so intense. I, you know, I don't know how to process this, um you know, uh, I don't have the emotional capacity to be angry about it. I mostly wish I weren't so far away from my family right now. I wish that I could write long paragraphs here about my parents as the people close to them, know them blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, and, and so it's, it's quite long. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess we can direct people to the post. What's your sense of it, Brace? Uh,
0: I I found it very vague and, and and once I sort of looked into the details of this and just in the details of how this process works, not just in this specific case, but in the cases overall, I, I did find I did notice that there were some things emphasized and some things either absent or totally de-emphasized. Like the human trafficking angle. You know, like I, I you know that that it sort of starts saying about, you know, it's talking about this really shocking proposition, right? You know, my parents were accused of human trafficking. And, of course, that's ridiculous. And, I mean, when you actually get into the details of how these schemes work, I mean, you can make the case that it's human trafficking, absolutely. I mean, more specifically, I would think you would call it labor trafficking. But it's some of the other details that aren't even necessarily illegal, necessarily illegal, that I found found a little troubling. And, again, once, like, once I are extremely troubling, <laughs> I should say. Yeah, um, we'll get into it. And, and and so, you know, when I first read this post, I had not read any articles about, you know, this, this specific case, I knew the generally how these things worked. And so I immediately had my suspicions. And, you know, it's, it's, I hate to be when there's smoke, there's fire guy. Mm. But sometimes the smoke is of of, 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 you know, there's enough of it, right? To where you know that something must maybe be going on. Well um, what's
1: I think what was so weird just from the blog post is uh, and and we're gonna get into this, you know, toward the end of the episode, but basically she posted this and You know, And I should say, this is how she ends the piece. No matter how many ways I tell them how grateful I am for the bone-deep familiarity with injustice that I acquired through watching what happened to them, their case solidified my ethical commitments. It clarified my understanding of power, of truth, and complication. I learned from their life trajectory as I had to, and I hope one day under a different administration that I get the chance to report it all out. Um so you know there's this very like odd angle that she takes where she is somehow the the victim in, in this situation well, of, of
0: scandalous rumor mongering. Yes, and, which is and, technically a capital crime in places like Singapore.
1: <laughs> but I think what was really uh shocking and what really ended up kind of I mean catching even more like ire than even her initial blog post was the insane response that it received from what I think we could call the first responders of Twitter media.
0: Yeah, it was. It was like I, I, I mean, it was an, an atom bomb of love and adoration. And ugh, this is so terrible. I'm sorry that people are such meanies. Um, and I, I think that is like you said. More than the blog post, or not equally to the blog post itself, just blew my fucking mind. Because- yeah, I,
1: yeah, the like amount of like fist pump emojis and like yeah. we got this, and oh my God, I'm so sorry for everything you've had to endure, et cetera, et cetera. Love and solidarity that came from what is now, now you're now people who kind of call them out as the blue check. Uh, mafia or whatever we want to call them on mm-hmm. Twitter, um, you know, where proffering was just like <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I have never seen it was that, was most, uh, that was the most that was the most solid form of solidarity that I've seen in like a decade.
0: And, and what what struck me so much is how completely across. I mean. Supposed, ostensible political lines it went like Mm. you had from from basically the left to the you know to the liberal left to the actual you might call them quote unquote socialist left to the to the liberal right. Basically, everybody united in literally saying solidarity to you, which I think is what sort of drove me crazy because we saw. I mean, we'll talk about this more later, but seeing sort of the language of labor repurposed. to 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 show your your adulation and your your adherence to this sort of code of like you know we're all in this together us mm. being people with New York media jobs right um,
1: yeah but you know I do want to like kind of pivot for a second because I think you know much to I would I think the dismay of Gia this story actually isn't about
0: her no and, and it's you know I I want to be clear here like people are not you're responsible for their parents. Right. No, absolutely not. No. Yeah. Like that. That's why, like when I said earlier, like I just wouldn't have commented on it if I was here, her, because it's like, you know, you're, you are not your parents. Like you don't, you, you know, I mean, in a case like this, I, I, you know, I don't know what I would have done either if I was in that situation, but like, you know, it's, it's the sin, you know, you can't visit the sins of the father and the son, blah, blah, blah. Or in this case, mother and daughter. Um but, uh, but the actual like details of this are, are pretty fucking abhorrent. And I think it's like, you all, you don't have to, you don't, you aren't responsible for them, but you also don't have to cover for them.
1: Yeah. I also want to say too, like, uh, true isn't in the business of like a cancel culture or we're here to cancel G like, I'm sorry, I don't care enough about this person to even want to cancel her as if that was something I believed in, Yeah, but like, When we say this story isn't about Gia, like we mean that. Like this story actually is is much bigger and deeper and more important than a blogger for the New Yorker.
0: Because something noticeably missing from that blog post was, well, who were these teachers, right? Mm. And like, what sort of situation did these teachers find themselves in?
1: Yeah. Well, Um, I think they found themselves in a situation that's unfortunately very common in the United States
0: yeah I, I i talked to um some some even just specifically to Filipinos although this is not at all just um you know just specific to them uh this is actually when i described this case to a friend of mine who works in the um let's say Filipino freedom and democracy movement mm, yes uh, yes and they she <laughs> she basically said like oh yeah you know this exact same case happens all over the country it with literally down to the same details down to the same dollar amounts
1: yeah So I think, like, we need to... I think it's useful to then talk about the Tolentino case very briefly because, and you know, and again, we should say that, um, you know, we looked into this case and looked into some of the legal documents, and so we're taking, you know, our read of the case from that. We're not here to report the case. We're not litigating the case. We're not, you know... Putting judgment on on this person, like and legal this, judgment. I mean, yes,
0: and, and so <laughs> so it also goes without saying. Actually, it actually definitely does go with saying this is all allegedly, right? Like <laughs> this is, believe me, back to that old faithful right here. This is allegedly, um, yeah. But a but, lot of people did allege it.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. So why don't we get into it?
0: So there was a uh, a pair of companies, really just one company with a couple different names. Omni Consortium, which is, mm. I gotta say, kind of badass name. Um, and then, you know, a subsidiary of that, Multicultural Professionals. And so, what this company did is they functioned as basically recruiters. They would take school administrators on all expenses paid trips to the Philippines with the caveat of for every one administrator that comes, 10 teachers must be hired, right? And so, a lot of these school districts, especially in the, in, the, in this uh, stage, because I think uh, this is certainly true in other cases with the No Child Left Behind policy of of Bush, uh, teachers teachers or excuse me, school districts found themselves needing to hire a lot more teachers. Mm. Um, and so, you know, meanwhile, while they're while they're meeting with these school districts, and this specifically happened, in, I think West Texas, uh, they had their uh, other people, other members of the Tolentino family in the Philippines meeting with teachers. And what they would do is they would basically recruit them and and char- start charging them basically from the get-go. Uh, immediately, $10 to submit a resume, $130 to take a test, $175 to have their credentials evaluated, and then once the teacher, once the administrators got there, $100 to be interviewed. Now, that's just to apply for the job. Mm. That is $10, $140. I can't do all this math, but that's like... We're getting near, you know, like $400 there. And and in the Philippines, in the early 2000s, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, you might wonder how they're getting this money. Well, let me tell you about a few more fees, and then let me tell you how they got the money. So after they got the job, they would then have to pay $850 in legal fees, $110 for a visa, $1,000 to expedite the processing of the visa, and six thousand dollars for a quote unquote security bond. I will say, that security bond, you know when you hear like a bond, it's like when you give a bunch of money at like the Motel 6, and they're like, we'll give this to you after, you know, you don't do a Steve Bannon thing to our bathtub or anything. They give you the money back. It's a deposit. Um, after these teachers landed in the United States, allegedly they would be told uh by the uh by 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 the Tolentinos that actually, no, that, that security bond was not uh it was more like a permanent donation. Mm. and so you're a teacher in the Philippines, go, trying to get to America to provide a, a better life, better job for your, you know, or for yourself, and maybe some ribbons for your family back home. Well, you don't have ten thousand dollars. Luckily, the Tolentinos have a couple of friends, uh, a guy. Well, I, I'll name them CJ and Owen. I won't just say their last names in case that's weird. Uh, CJ and Owen would be introduced to the teachers and offer. Um, Loans and uh, loans at a interest rate which even I, as a Jew, blush at. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, these interest rate was total. <laughs> I do. I am blushing right now. The interest rates. Oh, also the teachers have to pay a fifteen hundred dollars uh, fee to some other company in the Philippines, which is kind of unclear what company that was. Um, so that's over ten thousand dollars and their interest rate was uh 60% annually. They 60%. To, 60 fucking percent annually. Now, if they missed a payment, if they missed a payment, uh, th- that would be raised to 10% in addition to the uh to the 5% monthly one. So that would be that would add an extra, you know, that would be, if they miss one payment, their annual rate becomes 70%. Um that ended up basically with the teachers paying 1200 to $1,500 per month when they were in the U.S. and working to this company. Oh, mm, my God.
1: And I think it's important, too, for people to understand that like the way this process unfolds in this case, as it does, like, you know, kind of... As, you know, we'll talk about how these schemes are replicated throughout the country. Um, you know, these... Basically these are like inter- intermediary companies that work as consultants for employers, right? Yeah. Or contractors, consultants, contractors or whatever. So, in this case, as is the case in you know many other times, they don't actually have jobs for these people as they're recruiting them,
0: right? So something really really I found scummy that they would do is you know, in basically every case, uh, they, they work with th- the, the omni omni consortium worked with three different school districts. In every one of those cases, the teacher, the administrators, who obviously in this case are, are you know seem like they've done something pretty bad too. You know, they go to the Philippines, they promise to hire all these teachers, or you know, they someone says that, I don't know, maybe it's a miscommunication, but maybe someone's lying. I don't know. At the end of the day, they decided not to hire that many teachers. I think in one case, it was only two teachers after having promised to hire something like 40. Mm-hmm. However, Omni Consortium would still tell the teachers that they had jobs in America. And in fact, would allegedly forge paperwork to that effect. And so they would bring up, you know, they're, they're all getting hired at one school district. They they gather all the teachers in the Philippines before they leave. You know, they tell them everything that's going to happen. It's sort of like a briefing or whatever. And and in one case one of the teachers was like, "Okay, well do you have the paperwork?" and the lady's like, "Uh, the, you know, the the I think I believe the Tolentino's grandmother would say, "Oh, I I forgot it at home." But would eventually produce what amounts to false papers for quite a lot of these teachers. Mm-hmm. And then they would get to America and there would be no jobs.
1: Mm. Now, in Gia's blog post, this is what she refers to when she talks about um she said My dad had exposed himself legally for trying to find a solution to the displaced teachers' plight, working to get them rehired in different districts. If he had left the teachers to figure out their awful situation on their own, his legal position would have been stronger, but he would never have done that.
0: Well, so he seemed to be so dedicated to that task that, in fact, he would not let these teachers out of his sight. Um, particularly he would gather, and this is according to the testimony of the teachers themselves, not in necessarily the court documents, although I think it's in there too, but to actual like newspapers and stuff in the Philippines, that the teachers would be living 10 or 15 people at a time in dormitories. They were Mm -hmm. not allowed to leave. The ones that did get jobs were not allowed to buy their own transportation and had to be delivered to and from school in a car driven by an employee of Omni Consortium if they did get a car they were threatened with deportation um this 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 threat of deportation happens a lot in this story mm-hmm. if if the teachers complain they are threatened with deportation if the teachers do not pay uh at one point the loan sharks come to america And go to D.C. to, I don't know if they threatened them, I don't know, I can't say what happened, but they made it very clear that these loans were expected to be repaid promptly and in fact had to backdate checks to that effect. The loan sharks would also, and this is according to testimony, threaten physically the family members of the teachers in the Philippines who had also had to co-sign on the loans so that they could be sued or messed with in uh, the court in the Philippines too. And so this was a big deal, right? This is pretty wild.
1: Yeah, this is. I mean, what? Did, this is a quote. We had incurred such debts in the Philippines to get here, and we had no jobs to return to if we went home. Every night we prayed the rosary. We could not sleep until the wee hours of the morning. We were stressed, worried about our families back home, and often wept. And I think your point about um, you know deportation being used as a threat constantly. Uh, it, it is really important to stress because it, it's not just the authorities that threaten deportation, crucially, right? Employers use it all the time.
0: All the time. I mean, I know from my personal experience um, and the experience of friends of mine, you know, doing labor organizing is that, is that oftentimes people who are immigrants, whether they're here legally or not, are terrified of being deported, and and oftentimes employers. This didn't happen in my case, but I, I, many I know a lot of people that have have reported this. Employers will threaten people with deportation if they organize or if they complain or anything like that. Um, but this isn't even the employer. This is supposed to be the person. This is basically the recruiter threatening right. them with deportation. And so I, I, I you know, I, I have a hard time seeing this as anything other than basically indentured servitude, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, I I think that's like a really, like, I mean, that, that term is actually thrown around a lot when it, when, when people talk about cases such as this, Um, because, you know, if you are stuck in a contract from another country, no matter, you know, whatever, um, where you have to pay half of your salary, to a company that is charging you more and more money each month. I mean, I'm not a math guy, but 60% interest is a fucking lot of interest. And in other cases of other companies, I mean, sometimes it'll be even higher than that, where basically you're paying almost all of your entire salary to these places. Um, and, you know, you have no... You're not allowed to get a car. You have to live in specific housing, and you can't decide where your money goes. Um, I mean, it's it's you know, it's, it's a serious thing. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know what people want to call it. They want to call it labor trafficking, whatever. Um, But, you know, these are the facts laid out in the indictment in this. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm inclined to think that, like, because of the similarity to other cases, you know, I, I, I don't have really any compunctions about basically believing it.
1: Well, I think it's important, you know, kind of as we stressed at the beginning of the show to to kind of broaden our scope here because like we said, this is not a singular case. And actually this is really just exemplary of like an entire, uh, you know, industry. And, you know, I think, you know, (laughs) a really horrible underbelly of the United States labor system.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's in the case of like, a lot of these recruits, a lot of them come from two countries: the Philippines and India. In fact, uh, something I, I think this is even mentioned in the blog post. Something like eleven percent of Filipinos work overseas, mm. which is a ton. I mean, the, the 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 situation in the Philippines is pretty similar to India. I love the.
1: I'm sorry, the way that that's framed is so funny. They work overseas as if they're like, you know, this is their
0: commute. It's yeah. like. <laughs>
1: No, they literally, like, labor is one of the Philippines' largest exports. Well,
0: that's, that's the thing. I mean, the Filipino economy, it, it, much like the Indian economy, is basically semi-feudal, right? It's yeah. run by landlord class um, and, and some, you know, there are a couple industries but not many. The two big in, uh, exports are raw materials and people. Right? The thing is, with, with, with being getting medical training in the Philippines, I'd, I'd a, 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 again, this friend of mine I was talking to earlier explained to me this earlier that um, if you are training to be a doctor in the Philippines, they will teach you how to treat frostbite. They won't teach you how to treat tropical diseases because the expectation is that you're going overseas. In the 70s, the Marcos regime basically set up a scheme to send people overseas and they still, like the government really profits from this. The government of the Philippines, Duterte's government also extorts the overseas worker. Mm-hmm. I mean, something, I think 10% of their GDP comes from overseas workers, which is fucking insane. Yeah. Well, right? and
1: basically what it does too is it, it continues the lack of full industrialization of the country.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Because there's no, there's no need for the, the landlord class is making money, you know, exporting people and raw materials they don't need to build factories they don't need to make the Philippines even close to self-sufficient because they can just get money by by sending people to go work you know in hospitals overseas or the thing with the like a lot of uh, maritime trade is basically done by Filipino crews and oftentimes on on, on ships and, and such oftentimes it's basically they're basically floating sweatshops like they're yeah. horribly abused. Um, but it's this it's this thing. It's 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 under development, uneven development, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, this is you know, I mean, this is a legacy and feature of the you know global capitalist system. Right? Yeah,
0: it's yeah, exactly. It's it's the periphery feeding the core. Exactly. So,
1: you know, again, it, I you know I I think we're going to touch on this a little later but to to have these issues sort of reframed as um like a blogger being victimized is really difficult for me to stomach I'm just going to you know I'll leave it at that
0: Yeah I I'll, I'll second that and and I mean I I don't want to say anything else here but yeah. <laughs> So, like we were saying, this is not just uh, you know the case of Omni Consortium. There are many cases exactly like this, and in fact, in a American Federation of Teachers, that uh, this 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 sort of booklet they put out, um, talking about this migrant teacher abuse, uh, they 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 focus on a few cases, including Omni, but another one is Baltimore, and see if any of this sounds familiar to you. In 2005, Baltimore City Public Schools hired 108 teachers from the Philippines to help meet staffing shortages. These recruits were placed primarily in schools labeled persistently dangerous by the state of Maryland. Just four years later, more than 600 teachers are working in Baltimore, constituting nearly 10% of the city's teaching force. These overseas trained teachers are fully covered by the district's teaching contracts and are members of the Baltimore Teachers Union, which I guess is under AFT. Each of them paid between $5,000 and $8,000 to a recruitment agency for their placement in Baltimore. The district incurred no extra costs for hiring them, which is, by the way, something that happens, uh, you see a lot in these cases, is that it's the district basically pays nothing for the recruitment. They are just given the teachers. Um which I believe is illegal. In fact, the recruitment agency paid for multiple trips to Manila for human resources officials with accommodations in luxury hotels. The majority of these teachers live together in several apartment buildings where they form a tightly knit community. So that is basically the same thing, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, a similar company, Teachers Placement Group, which was out of India, uh, you know, they operated a totally similar... Uh, scheme. scheme. I don't even know. I was trying to scheme. like not this say This is scheme. classic scheme. I know. I was trying not to say that, but I just, I don't know what else to fucking call this. So the stipulations in the contract with the teachers bordered on indentured servitude. One clause required teachers to pay uh, the agency, the placement group, $15,000 if they return to India in the first year of the contract.
0: So you can't well, quit the job?
1: Yeah, you can't quit or you can't go home. Huh. Quote, recruiters have a financial interest in making the pull factors seem as tempting as possible and may mislead teachers by encouraging inflated and inaccurate expectations. I'm wondering if one of those inflated expectations would be a job.
0: Or, or yes, I, I feel like that would be a crucial pull in getting me to leave the country where I'm from to move somewhere else would be a job or the ability to have my own car would be p- pretty good, too.
1: I even just want to stress, too, before I continue with the rest of this con- the contract with this uh, teacher's placement group in India, is that, like, I I don't think, you know, I don't know, even saying, like, just, it's just, you know, for me to move for a job. It's, like, not like that. This is yeah. upending the rest of your life because you know this is the only way to provide for your family.
0: Yeah, like, your country is underdeveloped. you Your family probably... Does not have much money, I mean, enough for you to go to school or something, but like you are going there to not only provide for yourself, but to provide for other people too. And you're changing your entire life. I mean, you're going somewhere across the globe with basically, you have no experience with anything that's about to happen to you. You know, they don't tell these, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second, but they do not prepare you very well to move to America uh, at these recruiting agencies. Um, and so this is a big fucking deal. You know, this yeah. is not you moving to New York to get a job at uh Beacon's Closet.
1: Well, I just you know, I'm not a fan of like privileged discourse, but I think Americans have no fucking clue what they are talking about when they
0: <laughs> Yeah
1: when they blog about personal hardship. I'll just say that. Yes. Um so uh you know, they. I'm just going to continue from this bit. Uh, $10,000, so they would have to pay $15,000, remember, if they returned to India within the first year. $10,000 if they returned in the second year, and 7500 in the third. The union was outraged by these provisions and pressured the school district to stop payment on the $180,000 check they had written to teachers placement group to pay for the 42 teachers. The school district paid Uh, teachers placement group TPG only $45,000 with the rest to be paid in the next year. They required that the clause be removed from the contract and also forced them to assist the teachers in bringing their families to the United States. Now this was the, the TPG employed teachers in Philadelphia we're not so lucky. The teachers were dissatisfied with their salaries, were not told about income taxes prior to their first paycheck, Oof. and had less than comprehensive health insurance. But they were not able to negotiate since they were not employees of TPG, right? We should talk about that for a second. And therefore not covered by the collective bargaining agreement. Um, so again, like as we're kind of explaining this, it's really important to remember that like everyone is basically – a subcontractor of another person, right? So yeah. so the agency is contracted by the school district or the, in other industries, the company, which removes them from liability from the teachers. And the teachers are contracted to the agency, which allows the teachers to not have any kind of um, actual recourse when it, it, when it comes to any kind of labor negotiation.
0: Yeah, I mean, to work at the school... There, there's another case, actually... I didn't put this in the notes, but I did read about this earlier. There was a case in Baltimore where it turned out that basically the these schools, uh, not in Baltimore, excuse me, I think elsewhere in Maryland, uh, where it turns out the schools had hired all these Filipino teachers and then uh, paid them like a third of their regular salary. Yeah, like it's 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 a it's a system that is basically designed for super exploitation.
1: Yeah, and by the way, it's designed like. Yes, what you said, it's designed for super exploitation. These people are not taking advantage or, or like, uh, figuring out a new way to game the system. Like, this is the fucking system.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, H-1B visas and the way that they're used in, 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 in so many industries, it's not like a mistake. Like, I, it's funny to hear the term H-1B visa abuse. Because Mm. basically, the way that so many of them are used, I mean, you know, it can't be all of them, but certainly many of them are used isn't abuse of the system. It's the system working perfectly well. Everybody comes out a winner except for the worker. And that's by design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not just just like teachers that this happens to. No, no.
1: So one of the biggest, you know, in the in the most recent years, this has really been an issue in Silicon Valley. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate because, and I just want to say that, like, I, I don't know what has happened to the left on these issues. And I don't know if it's because of the kind of, like, dismantling of the anti-globalization movement or what we'll get into about the kind of like woke washing of the immigrant experience that, that comes with some of the way that people talk about these politics. But like, there's absolutely no way that like there's, there should be, no, there shouldn't be a way where the right is able to only to like capitalize on this, this shit because these people don't care. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, when Trump talks about fixing H1B visas, He's not talking about fixing it in in the way that I might talk about fixing it,
1: well, it's just like, yeah, it just really frustrates me because then the knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, if Trump wants to fix h one b visas, exactly. it means h one b visas are good and, and the way it, that and the way that they are currently used by, by the way, google, Apple, Facebook Amazon, Amazon is perfectly fine. And it's not. So this is from an NBC report uh, alongside the Center for Investigative Reporting. They uh, they did a huge uh, investigation onto what they basically call body shops that operate out of Silicon Valley. That's kind of like the term they use. Um, so they discovered an organized system that supplies cheap labor made up of highly educated and highly skilled foreign workers who come to the U.S. via H-1B visas. Consulting firms recruit, then subcontract out-skilled foreigners to major tech firms. Those who work for these third-party firms skirt the law. They're often called body shops. Sometimes they get caught. For example, 2014, a Cupertino man involved with one body shop pled guilty and was sentenced to 19 felony counts of visa fraud, where he admitted he knowingly applied for work visas for foreigners who had no job offers, filling out applications for fake jobs for a Silicon Valley tech firm quote, it virtually makes these employees a slave, said one worker who came from India more than a decade ago. Um, You know, they, they house these people, they call them body shops because they basically, I mean, I just don't know what to say. They operate the same way as all of these other cases. There's a consulting firm, a recruiting firm that subcontracts out, applies for, as many visas as they can without any real jobs. And, and you know, basically it put, puts workers under, you know, the mercy of predatory loan sharks to keep them quiet.
0: Often connected. Often connected. Or um, in fact, I would probably say it's likely always connected to yes. the body shops themselves.
1: Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, to keep them compliant. Yeah, it's just it's you know, it's horrifying. They keep them in these, you know, in this report, you know, they keep them in what they call guest houses, which, you know, again, this is this is something that keeps coming up. A guest Mm -hmm. house is a small apartment or home where as many as eight to 10 workers stay at once. A dozen different interviews confirmed that the guest houses are commonly used by body shops. One worker from India described how the body shops explained the guest houses when they arrived. We are placing you in the guest house. Until you get the job, you have to stay in the guest house. You should not go out even for a walk. This worker, too, asked to remain remain anonymous because of fears he will jeopardize his future job prospects. He stayed in the guest house for several months, not leaving. My family's in India. I have a six-month-old baby, and I want to see my son, and they want to come to the U.S. and stay with me. But because of the living conditions, the worker said there's no way they could join him they made him pay twenty three hundred dollars to get the visa which by the way is illegal Mm -hmm. Uh, they kept thirty percent of his sixty dollar an hour contract salary for expenses and taxes and this was in addition to the federal and state taxes withheld so they kept about thirty five thousand dollars of his salary a year
0: I mean it it, this kind of I think the best allegory for this is pimping Mm. right is 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 pimping and skimming like it's it's someone i mean having one fucking boss is bad enough <laughs> like a boss by the way that that extracts surplus value from you this like this guy's just these people just steal from you you know they keep you in their fucking stable their body shop they pimp you out to whatever employer. they don't i mean people are brought to the to the u.s on false pretenses right mm. Like saying you have a job, but when there is no job, which like, I get it. People want to come to the US and make a lot of money, but that is, there's basically no way you can excuse lying to somebody and telling them that they have a secure future when in actuality they don't and their future rests even more in your hands to see if you can get them whatever job. Uh, And when they get that job, you take that money, you take money from them. A substantial amount of money.
1: It's brutal exploitation.
0: $35,000 a year is more than I made in, in most years of my life. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, and that's like, it's so common. I mean, why do you think Mark Zuckerberg started forward.us? His immigration that? group. Oh, right. It made a bunch of noise when it first came out. I don't know mm. what they really do anymore. Um, but. But a lot of people were like, "Damn, I didn't know Mark Zuckerberg was so interested in in immigration reform but it's, it's <laughs> it sounds all- like
1: people don't know that much about Mark Zuckerberg's yes. company
0: but it's all of these um a bunch of tech companies banded together and would like have, have I believe it was in the 2016 election wrote letter an open letter to both the Democratic and Republican uh, parties asking them to 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 reform h1b visas which. Mm. I have a feeling does not have the interest of their workers in mind. Um, no. Because the, the, with the H-1B visa, they can also, I mean, they're assured of one thing in particular, and this isn't just tech companies. This is any of these companies that, that use these workers. That worker will not complain. Mm. That worker will not unionize. That worker will make no waves and do everything you ask for him because his life could be ruined in an instant by not only you but by the recruiter that you work with i mean it's 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 a gun to somebody's head basically yeah um and and it's it's rampant i mean it you know it probably made some of the technology we're working on right now
1: Well, speaking of that technology, we need to uh, address the other elephant in the room, which we teased at, but that was—I <laughs> suppose—that's a transition I could use. I was about to say, speaking of pimping, yes. we should talk about Twitter, but I kind of <laughs> like the way I went with it first way.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know. What keep them both
1: in? Um, so we mentioned at the top of the show that what that the the. You know the even the reason, it, so it's funny, so okay, so I'm gonna let the the uh listeners in behind the curtain behind the veil, whatever the expression is, I don't know
0: she is wearing a veil right now it is it is in full <laughs> wedding dress, not no i'm wearing I'm wearing a full wedding dress, Liz is in in mufti right now <laughs>
1: um, is that so when this when when Gia. Uh, posted her blog, when she blogged, I love saying that, I'm sure. She busts it feels out like, a blog. It feels derogatory, which is why I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she blogged late, whatever night it was last week, I texted Brace at probably like 10.30 or 11 that night and was like, yo, you got to check this out. And I kind of think we should talk about this. And you said, I don't know, I don't really care. Yeah. And then, let me tell you, this man right here went on a journey of self-discovery because what suddenly I was sending him, I was sending you l- links to some of the replies on Twitter. Then you started deep diving into the replies on Twitter and you started to lose your mind.
0: I went fucking berserk. I felt like I was going crazy because when Liz sent that to me, I'm like, I don't know what this lady's getting canceled for something. I don't give a fuck. You know, yeah. uh, and then I read it and I was like, something, something sticks out to me about this. My true nonsense is mm. tingling and vibrating every one of my humors. And, <laughs> and so I, I looked into, some people had posted the court documents. I looked into the court documents and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, if a single one of these things is true. And these court documents were posted in the replies. So any of the people replying, you know, all my love and solidarity could easily see these. Um and in fact many of them were replied to with these court documents. I started going insane because it was like are these people what the fuck is wrong with you? Well like, okay what, before like, we what, get
1: there what? let's read off some of these Scabs things. Scabs so, in
0: your soul there are. So,
1: you know, this is what uh Gia posted on Twitter uh so May 20th. So I guess that was last week. <laughs> Oops, that's just like 3 days ago. <laughs> uh my parents recently pointed to me that some misinformation about them had been spreading online. It's since taken off a life of its own and morphed into petty internet gossip. I wish I hadn't had to write this, but I wanted to make some things clear. She links to her blog post. Uh, 15.1K likes, 1.1 retweets, 676 comments. Now, some of those comments have since been deleted, which I think is funny. But uh, this one here is... uh, So when I say like all the blue checks are there
0: reading these again,
1: I know. I mean, it's like this is the biggest media event of quarantine. Like everyone's here. The gang is all here. So here's Emily Bazelon, who's a staff writer at The New York Times. She's a senior fellow at Yale Law. She is, of course, a fellow podcaster over at Slate Media. I'm kicking her out of the guild. Uh, She's a two-time national best-selling author. Gia, I've admired your work for a long time. Now I'll admire it more. No one should have to go through what your parents went through. I'm so sorry for all the heartlessness.
0: I am losing my shit all over again. What your fucking... What your fucking parents... Oh, I'm sorry. Your parents... Two new BMWs were taken by the government. These <laughs> teachers, literally, they, they brought over 200 over. Less than 100 actually had jobs.
1: This is Dara Lind. Dara Lind. I don't know how to say her name. Never heard of she, her. She, I literally had never heard of her. She's the co-host. This is why I've never heard of her, because she's the co-host of Vox's The Weeds podcast. A top 15 political podcast on Apple (sighs) Podcasts, by the way. Uh, She's a apparently decade-long immigration reporter for ProPublica and also a graduate of Yale University. Right on, baby. She tweets, Limiting myself to to what I can say that would be helpful to you in this moment. This is already better than 95% of immigration reporting. And if you ever need anything in that regard, I'd be
0: honored to help. This is, I think this is, is this prostrating? I think this qualifies, <laughs> baby, as prostrating. This is, this one drove me up the fucking wall. This is what broke your, your, your good friend Brace Belden right here, is this one. This is not immigration reporting. Yeah. This is a fucking blog post. Where's yeah. what, what 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 are you reporting on? Your feelings?
1: Well, yes, no, she is. And I, you know, I'm going to get into some, you know, I have something to say about that in a little bit, but I just want to say, you know, uh, you know, there's a ton of people. I, I don't even... You know, this is really like a who's who of media, blue check, elites. Jill Filipovich. I don't know how you say Is that how you say her name? I don't even know how uh, to say her she name.
0: Was, isn't she like a... I, I'm going to mix them up. I think she's the the granddaughter of Chetniks. I don't know. It's Emily
1: Nussbaum, Clint Smith, Jenna Wortham, E. Jean Carroll, who, by the way, uh, accused Trump of rape, Linda Obst. Uh, there are so many like major media people in the replies this is what Linda Oates had to say i wish you hadn't had to write this this seems to be the common theme with these responses i wish you hadn't had to write this now uh dear listener let me remind you she did not have to write this
0: <laughs> no 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 in fact I, I i would say she was it was it she she was dumb to write this yeah. she should not have written
1: this I wish you hadn't had to write this. I feel, I feel that your parents did enormous good for immigrants looking for a better life and that they were smeared for it and you were made to suffer is yet another atrocity that you had to lay, that you had to bear, uh, bear, B-A-R-E. If you had to bear any discomfort for it now, again... Is inexcusable. So, you know, S-I-C, I guess. And just by the way, she,
0: that wasn't me. Sweetheart, uh, there's only one person capable of excusing this. Uh, in fact, there's about 257 people capable of excusing this. I don't mm-hmm. think any of them have, as far as I know.
1: You know, so I want to just, you, you just said, what is this reporting on feelings? And this is like a really interesting example of that. Because, yeah, it is. And you know it's really interesting. I think you know we talk about like journalists and blue check. You know yes. we use blue check as a fun signifier.
0: The or, invisible enemy.
1: Yeah, for the kind of like um, you know the the media class, right? Which um, you know I am. I personally am very afraid of uh, becoming a part of. But that's my own kind of shit that I need to work through privately? Don't maybe? worry,
0: baby. I will... Die. We have ruined <laughs> that forever. You have no <laughs>
1: chance. You know? Yeah, you'd be surprised. I don't know. Anyway, just saying. I'm a lot more uh, self-conscious about I, it than...
0: I guess that's true, yeah. this ...than
1: people probably think. Well, Anyway.
0: I, I, we do know human trafficking is okay, so...
1: <laughs> no, but, you know, I, I think this is such a... Um, it's such a, like, useful or instructive example of how... The media operates and Mm -hmm. you say like personal reporting you know i've been thinking about this a lot because there's this uh, like trying to understand how our contemporary like media apparatus works is is really difficult and really like difficult to get into like kind of at least for me difficult to kind of it's elusive yeah um and kind of like break down but there is this way you know I mentioned where like you know, it's like personal narratives have taken the um have have taken the place like from actual reporting and I don't even yes. mean like hard scrabble reporting, but it's like within this like think piece economy, which is basically every it's like every content mill is you know just you know is it's all the same, right? yeah. So it's, like, all of it is this, like, the most vulgar expression of, like, the personalist political, Mm -hmm. you know? Where it's, like, suddenly every personal story is something that is, like, a a vehicle for political engagement, right? And so you get this way in which, like, Gia's blog post about, like, a really horrific... Uh, instance uh, uh, you know is like doing journalism work and doing yes. political work
0: yeah and you see yeah. that
1: reflected in these like blue check responses not to mention just the like the the complete like i mean i don't you, you know you people listening to this can't see me but it's like the only thing i can imagine is just like a huge bird with its wings just like <sighs> wrapping itself around it was just like the fucking protection unit just like swooped in and it was it you know it's like i say it was like the most extreme expression of solidarity i've seen in like a fucking decade and they don't even have a union
0: well i i, I think i think one thing that they don't that need journalists, one Journalists, i mean and a lot of people who are not journalists who are just into politics um do is that they think it's this very peculiarly, I think, American, although I believe it's been exported now. Um, mm, thing yeah. where if you achieve some degree of like self-realization or self-actualization, then you are doing politics. And in mm-hmm. fact, I I I've, I I think it was ironically to quote Murray Bookchin here, although to paraphrase it is that like you know he he mentioned like the the anarchist scene I think in the nineteen nineties where it was the the goal wasn't like politics as we understand them although it is technically political the goal is actually the full realization of the self and and politics isn't isn't you know affecting the world and, and creating a new order or anything like that politics is actually it's something to do it's ecstasy and it's mm-hmm. healing, and it's emotion and it's agony and it's, it's 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 beauty of the self and it's all these things that you do on your own it is this it is this selfish um sort of navel-gazing american thing that you do where 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 you do politics when you work on yourself.
1: Yes. Well, I would argue that that kind of you know, anarcho-liberal, huh, uh, you know, people get mad at me for that, but whatever, tendency has been institutionalized and now we are seeing it in the upper echelons of people that have been that have kind of graduated the yeah. the training institutions of America and by that I mean universities and the media Uh, you know, apparatus writ large. But Mm -hmm. I think that you're right. And I think that there's, you know, I guess that's kind of what I meant when I say, like, the way that, like, things get, like, woke-washed. And I don't mean it in, you know, people get mad at that term, but I really mean it in this sort of, like, that language, that kind of, like, activist HR kind of soft language where, and you see it now being kind of weaponized as if it is, like, it does have political... Uh, there are, you know, that they are called actions. You hear politicians say this all the time or media people, you know, everything needs to be like, we need to think through, we need to address. Have a
0: conversation.
1: We need to acknowledge how do we take this in? It's like, you know, and it completely, it does the work of completely uh, removing or negating any actual politics.
0: Well, right? the, goal, the goal becomes having a conversation. It's like, we need to talk about how workers in this country aren't getting paid enough. And mm. that becomes the goal. Right. Um, because that, that, I think, that at least, the powers that be, will let you achieve, right? And then you're not letting anybody down because your goal wasn't to get workers higher wages. Your goal was to have a conversation or to start maybe, you know, it, it's like how people say that, like, well, you know, at least Bernie started a conversation. Well, it's like... Yeah, Well, but-
1: yeah, and I think for a lot of people, the end goal of having a conversation is to have a piece published where you're telling people to have a yeah. conversation, and then suddenly your career becomes one where you are talking to people about conversations that you've had with yourself <coughs> about things that speak to larger conversations,
0: right? Well, one thing from this stuck out to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a parenthetical statement in, I believe, the second to last paragraph. It's been interesting in observing the gossip about this to see the way many white people implicitly see criminality as a status that is only achieved through egregious malicious actions. Many black and brown people understand that this is not at all the case and and it's it's this sort of flattening uh mm. there of like well, there's no difference between a a um you know poor black in America and a rich Filipino who makes their money off of other people working at jobs. You know?
1: Maybe she's trying to say there's a difference between a politically person of color person <laughs> and a culturally yeah.
0: person of it's color like, person. It's, it's, it becomes this, like, because it, 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 that sentence was particularly astounding because, like, well, you know, maybe nothing they did was illegal. I literally don't know. I mean, I think the visa stuff might have been, but the, that's, you know, the actual legality of that is is, is, is is I think, pales to the actual, you know, sort of moral criminality Shown elsewhere, specifically with the loan-sharking stuff. Um, but, but I also it's this think employment know, of this language that, like, yes. is a signal for for all of those other journalists who also speak in this same language, mm. right? Of 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 bodies and spaces or whatever. You know, we make that joke a lot, but like, this is how they talk. Um, and it's a signal to be like, "I'm okay, baby. Like, I'm on your side. This, my fight is your fight."
1: Yeah. And My I just also think, you know, I think it's not even just vulgar careerism. I really don't. I think there's something like much deeper at play here and it's there's a way in which this insistence on the primacy of the individual, the primacy of subjective experience, yes, as political vehicle, you know, as the kind of thing to uh, You know, the thing that needs to be thought through and addressed, like this ingrained response to regard politics as like a self-expression of one's consciousness mm-hmm. that's now done through this kind of individually commodified, extremely branded, by the way, think piece oh, yeah. media economy that it completely negates. And I think this is by design. It completely negates our collective ability to even have a politics.
0: It, it's funny. It reminds me basically of like the secret and new thought, right? Mm. And there's there's actually ways that the right wing employs this too, although they're much more adept at it, um, specifically because they all believe in magic, which I'll get into in another episode. Um, but but it, it is, it's just like, it's it's just... It's becoming it's self-realization. I don't know. I you just you yeah, said it I mean, than I but can. it's
1: really pernicious. It's like it's a very it's a deep, deep mystification. And like, I don't know the way out, which is what's like I, I I've just been thinking about it a lot, particularly in the wake of Sanders and like, what to make of the kind of landscape of the quote unquote left. and like, and also, I should say, like I'm not removing myself from this condition. Or or saying that I'm completely outside of it. I think it is a condition, and we are all in it. Yeah. But I don't know how to escape this without getting sucked back into kind of unending cultural battles that get us nowhere. Do you know yeah. what I mean?
0: Oh, so you know, like no I one don't, has less interest in that than me. Yeah, and I don't
1: know what to do. But this is the reality of our moment, and like I don't know what to do.
0: Well, I, I do think it's interesting how much of this language is basically mirrored on the left, because I think many people that the left is influenced by are, of course, trained at the same sort of elite institutions and are in the same sort of cultural milieu. and And I think it's funny because that does exist at a certain level. But when you actually, of course, everybody knows this, when you work with most workers or anybody who's not from that, I mean, some people do talk like that. Some people do sort of use that framework in their mind like this of of self-actualization of whatever um but but it 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 doesn't really it's useless in politics it's useless and people are obsessed with it because i think that in america like you know we've been losing for so long but the one thing you can change is yourself you know you you mm. can't make you know america less racist but you can make america less racist by you being less racist or whatever and that thought is extrapolated onto everything. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's enlarged and it's, 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 I mean, people just want to look into a mirror, I guess. Like that's, that's, that's people want to look into a mirror and masturbate. And it's, and it's, and I, I, I get it. Cause you're basically told that is what you're supposed to do. That is how you do politics. That is how you talk about politics. That is, that is how you exist. as. Like or a that's killer. how,
1: that's how talking about politics is
0: done mm-hmm. rather. Exactly. Exactly. But you notice it never, it's never, it's never, they never talk about politics. They always talk, it's just about personalities. But on the, on the other hand too, like there is, you know, I have found the best way to basically fight back against this is to just, I mean, obviously this podcast, I don't think subscribes to that very much, but it's, is just to like, to, to, I, I ignore it because there's nothing like that's so far from my world, you know, like it's not anymore really now that we do a podcast or whatever, but like their whole shit, like the way they talk is like, it's like so far how from how I think about it. I mean, I, I interact with people like this too. And it's like, it's mystified. I can't do it, you know? And so I just, I, I can't engage. I just don't engage with it because it's fucking, it's, 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 it's diseased, you know, I don't want to catch it.
1: Well, on that note, I did want to end the episode just really quickly with a quote that I think might um, kind of sum up what I think we're trying to get at here. Um, Okay. To use Amazon, which I did regularly for years, with full knowledge of its labor practices, is to accept and embrace a world in which everything is worth as little as possible, even, and maybe particularly, people. The author continues. I tell myself that these tiny scraps of relief and convenience and advantage will eventually accumulate into something transformative, that one day I will ascend to an echelon where I won't have to compromise anymore, where I can really behave thoughtfully, where some imaginary future actions will cancel out all the self interested scrabbling that came before. This is a useful fantasy, I think. But it's a fantasy. We are what we do, and we do what we're used to. And like so many people in my generation, I was raised from adolescence to this fragile, frantic, unstable adulthood on a relentless demonstration that scamming pays.
0: Hmm. Who said that?
1: Gia Tolentino.
0: So we wanted to direct you guys at the end of this episode to a couple of organizations. The first one is the National Alliance for Filipino Concerns, uh, which is a national alliance uh, in America for Filipino organizations dedicated to helping workers in the U.S. Um, The other organization is Migrante International, which is another sort of uh, organization Led by, run by Filipino overseas workers, that is also involved with the uh, democracy movement in the Philippines. Mm. Um, and so check those two organizations out. That yeah, was, we uh,
1: we we're, we'll link to those uh, in the show notes
0: as well. Oh yeah, as always, baby. Lincoln, but we got good at doing that. We used to always say that and then just immediately forget to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we do it. But now, now we do it
1: because now in the group chat, I'm always like, oh hey, young chomsky. Also, here are the links.
0: Yeah, actually, that, that's me that does that. What? <laughs> Who
1: is it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, baby. My God, just stealing uh, valor left and
0: right. Oh well, it's telling that you think sending a couple links is valorous. Personally, <laughs> I think, I think, um, it's emotional labor. Pretending that you did is more valorous because in act, <laughs> because acting is the most honorable profession. Um, well, thank you guys so much <laughs> for joining us on our journey. Um,
1: mm, yes, yes, this was fun.
0: Mm-hmm. My name is Brace. I'm Liz. Joined by Young Chomsky, who's producing and does the music. And uh, thank you.
1: We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.